the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Ruth, Boaz commits to Ruth's security, whether that means he gets the girl or not. We'll pick it up in Ruth chapter 3, verse 12. The title of the message is True Commitment. Ruth chapter 3. Remember the whole theme of the book of Ruth is it shows us a true love story. We've been learning a lot about marriage, relationships, through the relationship that Boaz and Ruth have together. But ultimately, of course, it's the true love story of God for us. And when we get to this place in chapter 3 of the book of Ruth, Ruth has declared her desire that Boaz be her redeemer, her kinsman redeemer, the Goel. And Boaz has joyfully agreed. And you know... Everything looked wonderful when we left these two in an intimate midnight conversation, didn't it? We stopped at verse 11. Things looked great. But we're going to see tonight a challenge remains. And being a godly man, Boaz is not going to sidestep it. Marriage and relationships are fraught with challenges. But the right answer will never be to ignore them or to tackle them on your own terms. Like Ruth and Boaz, we must follow God's word and trust that his desired outcome is the best. So chapter 3, verse 12. Boaz says, and now it is true that I am your near kinsman. She has asked him to be her redeemer. He agrees. And he says, now it is true that I am your near kinsman. I can do this. Boaz had professed his desire to marry Ruth. He had praised her loving commitment to him and her righteous character. She's the best of the best of the women in Israel. And he says, this is a win-win. I'm a redeemer. How be it, there is a challenge. We can't move forward with a marriage just yet because there is a kinsman, a redeemer who is nearer than I. You have a closer kinsman who has the responsibility to do this before me. Now, as you can imagine, have you ever had moments like that where everything looks great and all of a sudden you hear the how be it and then it goes, can you imagine Ruth right now? She has laid her heart on the table. She's risked everything. And it had all been going so well. But now this, this wasn't even on her radar as a possible obstacle. But you know, this teaches us two important truths about relationships. The first one is that if you're not expecting curveballs in a relationship, you are setting yourself up for disappointment. That is how life works. Now, I don't like curveballs in life. I like everything, all my ducks to be in a row, all my dominoes to go like I set them up. 
But life isn't about setting up your dominoes and smiling as they fall down perfectly. It just isn't. God is a domino setter, and he has the right to move my dominoes whenever he wants. And so God gave us his word so that we would be grounded when the curveballs come our way. So when you're in this type of a situation where you go, what do we do? This is crazy. Your answer as a spouse is, I don't know. But there's a ton we can know from God's word. So let's take a look. Let's go there first. One of the most important things that Pastor Chuck taught me was that when you're confronted with what you don't understand, fall back on what you know to be absolutely true. And that's such a good principle to live by. When we don't know what's going on, fall back on what you can know is absolutely sure. And God's word is absolutely sure. So expect the curveballs and commit yourself before they come to turn to God's word when they do. The second important truth we learn about relationships here is that obedience is better than sacrifice. Listen, anyone can sing, anyone go to church or speak the Christian lingo. I can be a faithful tither, I can be well respected by my peers, but obedience trumps all of those things. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, Samuel told this to Saul who had disobeyed the Lord. Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? It's an important question. And the answer is, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to hearken, to listen, that's better than the best part of the rams. That's better than you going, God, I saved the best part for you. Here's my offering. Here's this. The Lord says, will you just do what I say? My mom on Mother's Day We'd always ask her, say, mom, 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 what do you want for Mother's Day? I was the oldest of seven. And my mom would always say, just listen to me for one day. It's honest truth. Every Mother's Day, that's all she would say. Just listen to me for one day. Hmm. God knows where we're at. It's not like he's caught by surprise and we're ignoring him. It's not like he's up there and he's thinking to himself, oh, I thought they were listening this whole time. God knows. So he knows when we're singing and it's baloney. I think we all go through growth spurts in our lives where the words that we sing mean more to us, the words we read mean a little bit more to us. But more than ever in my life these days, when I sing a song, I'm thinking about what I'm singing. Thinking about what I'm singing because I don't just want to sing a song. I want to live it out because I know that means more to the Lord than me singing a song. Not that singing a song is bad. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Ruth and Boaz, they could have ignored the word of God in the name of love. They could have just been like, well, you know, we'll skip the whole near kinsman thing. We love each other. A complaint might have been lodged, but in this culture, I doubt anyone would have said anything. Not when one of their judges is marrying Philistine women. But as much as Boaz loved Ruth, he loved God more. That's what he's telling her. I can do this. But there is a a hang up here. One that God can overcome, but will only do it his way. I'll only do it his way. There's a near kinsman, and I'm not going to ignore that. So if they were going to do this, Boaz says, we're going to do it God's way. Whether it works out the way either of us want or not. Now, I remember when me and Beverly were early on in our dating relationship, I said to her, I said, you need to understand something. You'll always be number two. Jesus will always be number one. I'll never, ever put you in front of him. And she said, oh, that's good to know. Because you'll always be number two as well. 
Man, I thought I found the right girl. That's the way it has to be. If you want it to truly be a relationship that God will bless and honor, it has to be that way. Now, in spite of the fact that this may not turn out the way either of them wants it, Boaz commits to doing everything to ensure that this works out the best for Ruth. Verse 13, he doesn't say go home at midnight. He says, Terry, this night, I want you to spend the night. You'll be safe here. Don't worry about anything. And it will be in the morning that if he will perform unto you this near kinsman, if he'll perform unto you the part of the kinsman, well, in other words, this is good. This is proper. It's good. It's the right thing. I know maybe it's not what you want. I know it's not what I want, but it's the right thing. Let him do the kinsman part. But because I do really want to be with you, Ruth, if he will not do the part of a kinsman to you, then will I do the part of a kinsman to you as the Lord lives? I give you my solemn oath. I will keep my word. I will marry you. I will redeem you. So just lie down until the evening. He makes a promise to her. Commitment is crucial in relationships. The dictionary defines commitment as the state of being dedicated to something, an engagement or an obligation that restricts freedom of action. When there is no commitment, I'm free to do as I please, right? A relationship, your relationship even, maybe a business partnership or even a mutual use agreement. I've seen marriages that are both. But with no commitment, it's not a love relationship. Love requires a commitment. Jesus in John 14, 15, he said this, if you love me, keep my commandments. Simple verse, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's restrictive, isn't it? That's restrictive. We have so much confusion about love today. What is love? And I've determined that love, <laughs> people are not looking for love. They want approval. And then they just switch the word love in there. They don't want love. They want approval. But love, well, obeying Jesus' commands, it requires a dedication to him and to his ways. And it restricts my freedom to act however I want, doesn't it? The commitment of love restricts. In Colossians chapter 3, look there real quick with me. It talks about the love that we're supposed to have towards one another. And it uses an interesting phrase. Colossians 3. And these are verses you're probably familiar with. We'll start in verse 12. But I want to get through to verse 14. But he urges us in Colossians 3.12, in light of all that God's done for us, since we are seated in heavenly places with Christ, or to seek those things which are above. In verse 12, he says, Therefore put on, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. You are holy and beloved by God. Put on bowels of mercies. Now, we don't use that phrase anymore. That means put on your biggest heart. The bowels is where, back then, that's where they thought the soul resided, because if you laughed or you cried, it, you felt it here. And so that's what bowels of mercies, loving kindness means. Put on your biggest heart. Put on kindness. Put on humbleness of mind. Put on meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any, have a, any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, do the same. And above all these things, I mean, that sounds like a lot, but above all those things, make sure you put on this. Put on love. 
And then it explains what love is. It's the bond of perfectness. Perfectness there refers to maturity. It's the bond of maturity. Now, the word bond there, it refers to the ligaments which connect two bones together. Now, what happens to you if a ligament, like for example, like in your knee, what happens if you blow out a ligament in your knee? What happens if a ligament goes beyond its restricted limits? Well, it tears and the joint doesn't work anymore. There are restrictions for our ligaments. I can't just bend my knee wherever I want it to go. Eventually, it's going to rip and it's not going to work like it's supposed to. So love is similar to that. It's the bond of maturity. It's a restriction that we place upon ourselves because we have grown into a place of maturity that we understand that's what love is. True love restricts. And those limitations are based on my dedication, my commitment, first to the Lord and second to the person I'm in a relationship with. Boaz initially went to bed that night beside his little heap of corn. He went to bed that night with totally different plans for the next day. But he makes a commitment to the Lord and to Ruth here that changes all those plans. And this provides great security for Ruth in the midst of the uncertainty. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, it tells us, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. That concept of cleaving to your spouse, it refers to a permanency. It refers to commitment. Now, when we read those verses, we're not sure if Adam said that after he made his vow to Eve in verse 33, when God brought Eve, he could have said, no, I was kind of hoping for, you know, a strawberry blonde. She looks like she might be a little grumpy. You know, I'm thinking I want something a little bit more cheerful. If she doesn't like 80s rock, no, no. He could have responded in any way, but he said, no, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. I'm in for this. I'm in for this. After he makes his vow to her, we don't know if these are Adam's words or if this is just Moses' commentary on marriage, that a man will leave his father and mother and will cleave to his spouse, cleave to his wife. But either way, the principle is clear. We need to cleave to our spouse. The word there means to glue yourself to them. And when that commitment, when our commitment to our spouse is clear, it provides security to them, even when they are surrounded by lots of other uncertainties. You know, one of the best things that you can say to your spouse when you're fighting is, I'm committed to us. I know we're not agreeing right now, but I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to be right by your side no matter what. We're going to get to the other side of this together. I can't tell you how many moments when I've just looked at Bev and I said to her, I said, you know what? I'll grab her hand. And sometimes she probably doesn't want me to hold her hand in those moments, but I'll grab her hand and I say, I'm not going to bail on you. Like, we're going to get through this together. We're going to make it. Now, that of course means you don't get to throw out the word divorce when you're having a fight. You don't get to give the silent treatment. You don't get to treat your spouse like they're your enemy. Those are all unbiblical forms of communication in marriage because they rip away security. You're not allowed to do that. If you are ever doing that, that's sin. So be like Boaz, even when you're not sure how it's going to turn out or if it's going to turn out the way you want it to and provide that security. He doesn't know if he's going to get to marry her. That's what he wants. He may end up single out of this. Ruth may get security. Some other guy might get an amazing wife and he might be left with nothing. But he still offers her security. He offers her that commitment. Lay down, go to sleep. Everything's going to be fine. Verse 14. 
It says, and she lay at his feet until the morning. And again, safe, intimate, but still pure. Safe, she's not in any danger. Intimate, she's right at his feet, but pure. And if that doesn't describe your dating relationship, then you need to consider if it's one you should stay in. If it's not safe, then it's not the Lord. If it's not intimate, then don't all of a sudden assume you're going to become close friends all of a sudden when you say, I do. If it's not pure now, it's not going to be pure after you say, I do. Those problems don't get magically solved when you say, I do. She laid his feet until the morning, and then she rose up before one could know another. He didn't want her reputation tarnished, for he had said, let it not be known that a woman came into the threshing floor. Boaz, he is the total gentleman here, and yet he still has no promise that he's going to get the girl in the end. If this other relative stakes his claim, Boaz is still a single man. And that's the difference between a commitment and an association. A commitment isn't based upon me receiving a benefit. A commitment is designed to bring benefits to someone else, whether I get benefits or not. And that's probably the most difficult thing for me to do when I'm trying to convince married couples who are struggling, is that you need to do your part, whether they're doing theirs or not. Because your commitment wasn't first made to them. It was first made to the Lord. And even if your spouse hasn't been faithful to all their promises, the Lord has never been unfaithful to you. He is always worthy of us keeping what we promise to do. Amen? He's always. He's never not worthy of us being obedient to him. Now, before Ruth goes, Boaz does one last thing for her. Verse 15. Also, he said, bring the veil that you have upon you and hold it out. The veil would be the shawl, be wrapped around the head and the shoulders for warmth. So hold it out, he says. And when she held it out, he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her, and she went into the city. Some teach that this was his bride price. If that's the case, I don't think he thought very much of Ruth because the bride price was usually based upon how much he thought she was worth. And six measures of barley is not exactly a nice engagement ring, ladies. So I don't think that's what's going on here. I personally think that, we don't know for sure, but I think he did this to send a message to Naomi. I think what he's saying is, I said I'd take care of your family until Ruth found a husband. And you know what? You can bet everything that you have, I'll fight to be that husband. I'm all in. And the reason I think that is because that's how Naomi takes it. Look at verses 16 through 18. And when she, Ruth, came to her mother-in-law, she said, who art thou, my daughter? In other words, are you still Malon's widow or are you now Boaz's wife? How to go? I need to know. And Ruth told her all that the man had done to her. And she said, these six measures of barley gave he me. For he said to me, don't go empty-handed unto your mother-in-law. Well, then she responds and says, sit still. Which means, it's, it's a lot more strong in the Hebrew. It means you need to settle down, girl. And I imagine Ruth is probably a bit of a mess right now. I imagine she wasn't anything close to sitting still. Her entire future hung in the balance and she had no clue who was going to turn out. She's not going to be there for this conversation with this other person. She doesn't even know who he is. There's only two outcomes at this point. While one is better than the other, both do result in them being cared for. So Naomi says, you need to sit still, girl. And yet, I don't think Naomi is just being cold, saying, you're going to be fine. I think she knows something that Ruth can't just see yet, because look at what she says next. Sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will fall, for the man will not be in rest until he has finished the thing this day. In giving the the grain, I think that Naomi gets a message there where she knows that Boaz is all in in this. 
He will not be at rest. That's an interesting phrase in Hebrew. It means to be still like a perfectly calm body of water. I think what she's trying to tell Ruth is, he wants to marry you, girl. You don't need to fidget because I guarantee you, he is a hurricane in motion right now and he will be so until this thing gets done. This will not be Lake Placid, okay? This is going to be hurricane, whatever you want to name it, until he gets this all settled. Hmm. I know. The moments when I've probably hurt my bride the most is when I didn't give her that kind of reassurance. That her well-being was my number one priority. Does your spouse have that kind of reassurance when their well-being is at stake? That they're the number one priority in your life? That's what true commitment communicates. So, was Naomi right about Boaz's message to her? Well, let's see. Look at chapter 4. Well, then Boaz went up to the gate, and he sat down there. And behold, the kinsman of whom Boaz spoke came by, unto whom he said, Ho, such a one, turn aside, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. Then, that means at the same time Ruth was talking to Naomi, first thing in the morning, before other people were up, he is already on his way to the gate. Now, the open space in front of the city gate was kind of the forum for the city, the marketplace. You had your groceries, you had everything you could find there. This is where you'd find the courthouse. Everything was done there. Business was transacted, public affairs were discussed, legal matters were settled. And the best place to encounter someone was therefore at the city gate. So Boaz goes and he plants himself down right in the gate because sooner or later, everyone passed that way, this guy's gonna come through. You know what I love about that image? Because Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. And what does the Bible say he's doing right now? He is where? Seated at the right hand of the Father, right? Seated at the right hand of the Father. Now let me ask you a question. Do you associate what Boaz is doing sitting down right now as being negligent or lazy or inactive? Not at all. I mean, he's there first thing in the morning. He's going to take care of things, I think sometimes when we read that, we think, oh, yeah, he's just sitting down. I wish he'd just come get up and come back. Come and rescue me from the mess I'm in. When you're struggling, never think that Jesus is doing nothing. He loves you. He's committed to you. And he is advocating for you, even though it looks like he's just sitting. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, it tells us that. My little children, John writes, these things are written that you don't sin. But, and if you sin, we have an advocate with the Father, even Jesus Christ the righteous. In Romans chapter 8, verse 34, it says that he intercedes for us. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. He's not just sitting there twiddling his thumbs. He's not just sitting there doing nothing. He is very active on your behalf while he's sitting there, just like Boaz was for Ruth. And so even more than Ruth, you need to settle down, girl. Settle down, guy. We need to settle down. Because unlike her, we do know how this is going to turn out for us, right? We know the end of the story. We know how it turns out for us. So we don't have anything to fear. Now, while he's sitting there, it says, behold, which literally means no sooner than he had sat down. The relative comes walking through the gate. And so he said unto him, ho, such a one, which means, and that's a weird King James translation, but it means Mr. So-and-so. The reason he's called Mr. So-and-so and his name isn't given is because it was a great dishonor to abdicate your duty as a near kinsman. And so the writer does not name him here. So, ho, such a one, turn aside, sit down, 
And so the near kinsman turned aside, sat down. Boaz, it says he took 10 men of the elders of the city. And he said, sit you down here. So now they sit down. So now it's obviously something important is going to happen. And he said unto the kinsman, Naomi, that is come again out of the country of Moab. She has sold a parcel of land, which was our brother Elimelech's. I thought to advertise you saying, buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, then redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know. For there is none to redeem it besides you, and I am after you. And the guy says, I'll redeem it. Now, he gets the elders. These would be the most respected men in the community. They would serve as witnesses to this transaction, this big decision. And so he advertises, which means to notify you of your responsibility in this matter. I thought, I had made the decision. The word there means to declare. I made a declaration in my heart. I decided I need to do the right thing when I found out about this, and I'm presenting the information to you. You have a responsibility here to be the kinsman redeemer. Because you're the nearer kinsman, you must acquire this land on her behalf. But if you won't fulfill your responsibility, then I will. Well, the guy says, no, 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 I'll I'll fulfill my responsibility. I'll do it. Wow. I mean, if that's the end of the story, I mean, that'd be just a horrible ending, right? And yet the story doesn't end here because this near kinsman thinks, well, I just have to take care of this widow, this Naomi. The land will become mine after she dies because she has no kids. And so Boaz informs him about the other responsibility he would have. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.